Welcome, and thanks for tuning in to the Watermark OC Church Sunday Message. Watermark is a generational community that is crazy passionate about starting a conversation about God, your relationships, and authentic love. If you're interested in getting more information, please click the link in the show notes for next steps. Thanks again for listening. It's our hope and prayer that this message would transform your life. In the midst of a crazy world, we have something to celebrate. Good news. 2,000 years ago, Jesus rose from the dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. And it's so good to have you this morning in the midst of this crazy world. It's a little crazy out there, isn't it? I mean, I never dreamed. Who would have thought last year that we'd be doing Easter online, that more people would be watching online than would be in the church buildings this year? It's a crazy season. I mean, who would have thought that we'd be going to work in our pajamas, right? (laughs) I mean, who would have thought the choice for Easter service would be the living room or the bedroom? Nobody thought that. Who would have thought that we'd be going online not to shop for designer clothes, but for designer masks? I mean, it is a crazy season. And in the midst of that craziness, we really need good news. I mean, I see you guys out there. I'm so glad you're here. You're, you're, you're hunkering down. You're doing the best you can, right? I, I see the beautiful breakfast you have there, bacon, eggs, beignets, a little, little bit of chocolate bunnies. Maybe you had a little Easter egg hunt, huh? And the candy, the peeps. Gene, Gene, stay away from the peeps. Betty, move the chocolate egg off the table. That's good. Gene's okay now. But you guys are having a good time at home celebrating because we're all hunkering down. We're all trying to do the best we can during this difficult time. We're social distancing, we're washing our hands, we're making sure we're staying at home, we're doing the best that we can, and we're going to get through this together. With God's help, with our prayers, with people loving one another, we're going to get through this together. Why? Because of what happened 2,000 years ago. Because of the hope of eternal life that comes through Jesus Christ and the power of the resurrection. You see, we all need a little hope today in the midst of this crazy. And 2,000 years ago, Jesus came to bring us hope. We've been in a series called The Great I Am. We've been looking at the Gospel of John, some of the great I Am statements of Jesus. And this morning on Easter Sunday, we're going to focus on what I think is his most powerful and my favorite statement that he made. He made it in front of a tomb. His friend Lazarus had died, and he spoke to Lazarus' sister Martha and said, Martha guess what? Your brother has died, but I've got good news. Here's what he said in John chapter 11. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though he die. And whoever lives by believing me will never die. Do you believe this? Jesus made this great I am claim right at the tomb of his friend Lazarus. And then 2,000 years ago on Easter Sunday, he backed it up by raising from the dead. No man has ever done that. I mean, Jesus didn't just bend the curve. He broke the curve. He blew through the curve. I mean, we're doing everything we can. And we're, we're trying as hard as we can to bend the curve. And everybody's praying, everybody's hoping, and the scientists are working hard. The doctors and the first responders are doing awesome. And we're doing everything we can as a nation to bend the curve. But no man has ever broken the curve. Only one man did that. The God-man, the great I am, Jesus Christ, when he blew through the tomb after three days in the ground, 
and he broke the curve, proving that he was God, proving that he had the gift and the power over life and death, proving that he could give us eternal life. He didn't just bend the curve. He didn't just prolong life, preserve life. He gave us new life, resurrection life, a new creation. He said, I am the resurrection and the life. And we do, boy, do we need that hope in our world today because we are so struggling with the fear of death in our culture. The fear of death in our culture is really doing a a big master work on us today. Here's what Carl Jung said about the fear of death, a renowned psychotherapist. Carl Jung said, death is indeed a fearful piece of brutality. There is no pretending otherwise. We watch the news, we see the images of body bags, we see the images of mass graves in New York, we see death, we get uh, news media flashes that some prominent person has died of the coronavirus over and over again. The fear of death has covered our land. It is a brutal thing. It is not only brutal physically, but far more psychically. A human being is torn away from us, and what remains is the icy stillness of death. There are no longer exits any there no longer exists any hope of a relationship for all the bridges have been smashed and uh, one blown away you see death steals and robs our relationships it takes our loved ones from us it causes us to quake in fear it shatters the bubble in a country where we thought we were okay financially we thought we were okay with our our work life, the greatest economy was running, everything was going great, and yes, this virus has shattered us with the fear of death and shown us that we're human and we're frail and we're fragile. And so death is knocking at all of our doors. What does it bring? It brings discouragement because of the loss of control. We feel out of control. We've lost our jobs, many of us. We've lost relationships. We're in isolation. We've lost our rhythm. It's not there. We're not in the same rhythm. We've all been knocked off kilter. We've lost finances, and, and it's, struggle, it's a struggle for all of us. And that begin, begins to bring a loss of hope. We begin to despair because we, we don't think things are going to be better in the future. What's going to happen? Are we ever going to be able to go back to normal? Are we ever going to have a thriving economy again? Are we ever going to see and have relationships and be able to do the things that we did before because we're distant and we're isolated? And so we're beginning to lose hope. And what happens after death, this stillness, this iciness, it takes life away and it leaves us with despair. And finally, doubt starts to creep in. Even maybe if we had a faith, but all of a sudden this shatters our faith and we say, where is God? What is he doing? And we ask the questions and we wonder, is God with us? Is God there? Who is God? Why is this happening? We begin to doubt God's goodness and even his existence. You see, we're struggling with the fear of death. And that's why we have good news to celebrate today because Jesus came to help us with that fear. Jesus came to help us overcome our doubts and replace them with an authentic faith and a genuine hope and a powerful love. Do you ever have doubts? Perhaps you come to Easter morning this, this year with doubts. Doubts about God, doubts about his existence, doubts about his goodness because things have happened in your life and your worldview has been shattered and you don't feel safe and you're full of fear and you're alone today and you're filled with doubts, questions, struggles. Well, I've got good news for you this morning because you're in good company. 
You see, when you read the Bible and you look at the history of God's people, there were several people, even God's greatest leaders, some of his heroes, struggled with doubts themselves. If you look in the Old Testament and you read about one of God's first great leaders, Moses, in the book of Numbers, he was leading the children of Israel in the wilderness, and all of a sudden he had such a bad day because of their complaining and the struggle. He said, God, just kill me now. <laughs> I'm done. And then what about the prophet Elijah? After, after an amazing experience on Mount Carmel, defeating the prophets of Baal, he is threatened by the queen Jezebel, and she says, I'm going to take your life. And he runs into the wilderness, and he's so emotionally exhausted, he's despairing of life. He says, oh, I'm no better than my ancestors. I deserve to die. He feels hopeless. He's doubting God. He's doubting his life. We move to the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, this great preacher of the gospel, taking the gospel throughout the Greco-Roman world. And in 1 Corinthians, he writes to a church that he founded, and he talks about his mission in Asia. And he says, it was so hard, we were even despairing of life. We were despairing of life. It was so difficult, the challenges, the persecution, the struggle. And what about John the Baptist, the greatest man who ever lived? The guy who introduced Jesus, right? The one who came before him, Jesus said, this is the greatest man that ever lived. And he said, when John saw Jesus, he said, behold, the Lamb of God, here's the one who's come to take the sin of the world away. And later on in John's ministry, he's put into prison because he speaks out against a leader. Herod Antipas talks about his marriage and he's put into prison and he's in this dungeon of doubt and he sends a messenger to Jesus and said, Jesus, are you really the one? Or should we look for somebody else? Doubt. You see, doubt is common to God's people. It's common to the spiritual journey. We all have questions. We all have struggles. The, the great desert fathers said there are times that we call the dark night of the soul where doubts invade our lives. Even if we're spiritual people, even if we're seeking God, even if we're faithful followers, we have times of doubt and discouragement, times where darkness comes over our life, times it's hard to see the light. Our prayers bounce off the ceiling, it seems like. Where is God? We can't feel Him. These are common things to humanity. We all have questions. We all have doubts. You know, one of the great things about the Bible and the, one of the great things about the Easter story that we're going to look at this morning is that God can take our doubts. He accepts our doubts. He accepts us right where they are. God knows right where you're at today and accepts you with all your doubts and your questions. And He invites honest doubters, authentic people, to seek him and know him. And as we look at the journey of faith, doubt can be a great springboard. Doubt can be the first step on the journey of authentic faith and greater intimacy with God. Easter has good news for the skeptic, the doubter, the questioner in us all. And this morning I want to look at the story of a famous doubter. The story of Doubting Thomas in John chapter 20 as we end our series in the Gospel of John this man is famous for his doubts. Doubting Thomas, you may have all heard of this man. He's famous for his doubts. I think he gets a bad rap, though. I think Thomas was just an authentic seeker. I think Thomas just wanted to find answers. There's nothing wrong with wanting to have answers and find the answers for ourselves. And that's the journey of Thomas. Thomas is a doubter, but he's a questioner. He's a seeker. He's coming with authentic questions. He's not a scoffer. 
I'm not talking about a scoffer who doesn't want to believe, that's, that's already made his decision, there is no God, there is no, no answers to these questions. So they, they don't, they're not really authentic in their journey. They're not really seeking answers. They've already made the decision of, Thomas is not a scoffer. He's an authentic doubter. And he finds his way to the true living God. Let's put ourselves in Thomas's shoes. Why did he have doubts anyway? Well, it says Thomas in John chapter 20, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve was not with the disciples when Jesus rose from the dead on Easter morning, Easter day. You see, Thomas was one of the original twelve that Jesus chose. He believed in Jesus. He followed him. He saw his miracles. He heard his powerful teaching. He believed he was the Messiah. And he was so excited when they came into Jerusalem just a week before Jesus' death and crucifixion. Palm Sunday, we celebrated that last week. Ben gave an amazing message. And Palm Sunday, the, the, the crowd celebrated, this is the Messiah. Hosanna, Hosanna. They welcomed him. They thought he was the Messiah. They thought he was going to defeat the Romans. They thought he was, he was going to free them from all the oppression and the hardship. They were looking to him, and Thomas was too. He was riding that wave. Yes, throughout Jesus' ministry, he talked about suffering in Jerusalem. He talked about that he might be betrayed and died. And, and that was maybe in the back of Thomas's mind. He said, Jesus said, I'm going to be betrayed. I'm going to die. and I'm going to rise from the dead. And what did that mean to Thomas? Probably very confusing to him. Is Jesus talking in a metaphor? Is Jesus speaking of a future resurrection? Because the Jews believed in a resurrection, but it was way in the future after the Messiah came. And so it was all bundled and confused, and now it was put in the back of his mind because of the great crowds and all that was happening. But then Thomas's dreams were dashed. When Jesus was betrayed and crucified right before him, a terrible, torturous death, and he died. And Thomas saw the spear stuck into his side. He saw his friend die and breathe his last breath. And Thomas's dreams were over. And on Easter morning, he was hunkered down. He was isolated in. You know, that's what's encouraging about the Easter story. The Easter story is more like what's happening now than usual Easter in America because we're used to big bands and mega churches and all the people in the crowds. But you know, the first Easter, there were no bands. There were no churches. People were isolated and sheltered in their homes. They were locked down because of the fear of death. Not the coronavirus, but all the disciples fled because they thought the people that crucified Jesus might come after them. And so they were hiding in their houses. They were afraid. They were hunkered down in isolation. They were socially distancing, right? And Thomas was hunkered down, isolated, all alone when Jesus began to do the impossible because he began to appear in physical form. After his death, three days in the tomb, he appeared in physical form to his disciples. First to the women who went to the tomb early in the morning, the Gospels tell us, to really finish the burial process for his body. And as the women saw this, uh, Mary Magdalene was one of the women that had the first encounter with Jesus. And she comes back and she said, I've seen the Lord. And all the disciples says, you're crazy. You're corona crazy. Even in the first century, you haven't seen the Lord. And so they didn't believe her. They thought she was a hysterical woman. But then later on, Jesus walked in the room and appeared to the disciples, and Thomas was not there. What a day to miss church, right? What a day to miss the gathering when Jesus shows up. You know, Thomas is not there. Don't miss church. (laughs) 
God says there's incredible things happen when we gather as his people. And God shows us an amazing day. We're so glad that you're doing online church here. But continue to follow. Be online. And when we come back to gather together, come to church and be a part of the fellowship. The book of Hebrews says, do not forsake the fellowship of the brethren. Come together to encourage one another in love and good deeds. We need people. We need gatherings once this is over because it strengthens our faith. It keeps us healthy. When we sit alone, isolated in our doubts and fears, they begin to sink in and we start to go corona crazy. And that's where Thomas was. He was all alone in that place. And he was absent. And God met Thomas right where he was at. Jesus is going to meet Thomas right where he's at. And Jesus wants to meet you right where you are at. Whether you're isolated, whether you're locked down, whether you're struggling with your fears and doubts, Jesus wants to meet you right where you are at. He met me right where I was at. You know, I haven't always been a pastor. I was a businessman at 32 years of age. I was sort of a church-going guy, but pretty nominal in my faith. And I was going to have my first son, and I was so excited about that and my dreams for him. And So in a hospital room at Long Beach Memorial Hospital, when our first son was born. He was born with Down syndrome. He was born with a heart defect and all the fears and doubts came crashing in. And my wife was like Thomas. She was so honest. She said, God, why have you done this? You've given us too much to handle. And she was frustrated and she was expressing her doubts. I was overwhelmed with fear. As we went to bed that night in the hospital, I cried out to God with an honest prayer. I said, if there is a God, if you're really out there, you got to show me. you got to give me something to hang on to. And you know, God met me right in that place. He met me with his word as somebody brought a Bible to me and I began to read God's word through my son's six-month stay in the hospital before his death. And God's word became alive to me like it never had come before. And he gave me the word and I heard the testimony of eyewitnesses. And then God also gave me people, safe people to process with, safe people to share my doubts and fears, to walk with me and love me. And God brought me his presence. Real experiences where I, I saw prayers answered, where I heard him speak and whisper into my mind, I knew he was with me. He can do that for me. He can do that for you. He did that for Thomas. And I want to show you the path and give you encouragement today, wherever you are. Here's the path that he led Thomas down. I see him lead people down that path from doubt to faith, even today, right here in Orange County. It happens now. It can happen for you. The first thing I want to encourage you with is to listen to the witnesses. You see, Thomas is hunkering down, he's alone, but guess what? The disciples go and find him. Disciples go after their beloved Thomas, and they come with good news. Hey, Thomas, we have seen the Lord. God brought a witness into Thomas's life from his very best friends, and they were testimony to the resurrection. They had seen the Lord. You know this Bible that we open up and read in church. This is a book of eyewitnesses. These are people that have seen God work in their lives. They've seen miracles. They've seen power. They've seen God change and do things for themselves. And they are living eyewitnesses. And there are living eyewitnesses who wrote this book with the reality of the resurrection. All of Jesus' disciples, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, these are eyewitnesses to the resurrection. And they're proclaiming the good news of Jesus not from a part because they saw him face to face. 
And, you know, skeptics and doubters say, you know, the Gospels are full of fairy tales and they're just, you know, made-up stories and they want to push the Gospels way, way beyond the death of Jesus. Jesus died about A.D. 33, from what we know from history. And so the skeptics and the doubters say, hey, you know what, Jesus' death, uh, it, was, it, was, it happened, but the disciples didn't write about him. Uh, it must have been 50 or 100 years after his death. And so they wanted it to happen so bad that they kind of made it up. They kinda, it kind of became a fairy tale, kind of, kind of a, a fable. They kind of wanted it to happen so bad, and so they wrote it down later on. And so skeptics will push the Gospels out. But you know, when the skeptics argue against people of faith. They, they rarely mention a book called 1 Corinthians. And in 1 Corinthians 15, I, I really want to encourage you to open God's Word and look at 1 Corinthians 15 if you're a doubter for the resurrection because it is written, conservative scholars, liberal scholars would agree it's written in about A.D. 55 by the Apostle Paul. A.D. 55. Jesus died in A.D. 33. That's within 22 years of the actual event. It's too early for fable or fairy tale. And when Paul gives the account of 1 Corinthians 15 of the eyewitnesses, he lists the people. He said Jesus appeared. He says first he appears to Peter. And then he appears to the apostles. And and then he appears to over 500 people at one time. And then he says something very powerful. He says some of them are still alive today. Some have fallen asleep or some are still alive today. Paul says he appeared to them and they're still alive today. This is the Roman world. There are roads, there are boats. These people could get on a ship and go to Jerusalem and they could interview an eyewitness. This is not the testimony of somebody who's making something up. This is authentic witness, eyewitness news. You know, this this is an Instagram right out of the empty tomb. Hey, Jesus is alive. Go talk to his witnesses. Here they are right here. They're alive today in Jerusalem. You can go check them out. And then Paul says, not only they're alive, but skeptics who became Christians. James, his brother who doubted him, he saw the resurrected Christ. And now he's a a fired up Christian. And myself, Paul was a skeptic. He persecuted the church. He said, I was the last one to the party here. I'm like one untimely born. I didn't even deserve to be an apostle because I persecuted the church, but because of the grace of God, the resurrected Christ put me right in the game. This is a powerful testimony of eyewitnesses. Look into God's word, seek it, ask questions. There are powerful testimonies of people that actually saw Christ that are historically accurate. We have amazing witnesses in our culture today. God raises up witnesses in every culture, even in America today. Lee Strobel, he was an atheist. He was a reporter for the Chicago Tribune. His wife became a Christian. He went on an all-out journey to to prove that Christianity was wrong, and he became a Christian in the middle of it. He writes a great book called The Case for Christ. If you're a doubter, a seeker, if you have questions, I encourage you to get that book and read his story of how he came to Christ and his authentic work of looking at all the evidence. Also, Tim Keller, he's been a guy that's really strengthened my faith. His church is in the middle of Manhattan where all the deaths are happening right now in New York. He's a guy right in the middle and he's proclaiming the hope and the goodness of Jesus right in New York City where there's so many doubters and skeptics. And Tim Keller does an amazing job. He writes this book called Reasons for God. I encourage you to pick it up and read it. He'll answer some of the deep questions because he's gone through the journey of cancer and doubt And he's come through on the other side as a powerful witness to Jesus Christ. Who are the witnesses in your life? Who are the people that you're listening to? 
If all you're listening to is skeptics and doubters, guess what? You're going to be a skeptic and a doubter. Who are the people of faith you're letting tell you a different story? If you needed witnesses, we'd be happy to help you find them. There are a lot here at Watermark Church, and you're going to hear from them later in the service. We have authentic people that have made this journey. Jesus shows up in lives even today. Listen to the witnesses. The second thing that Jesus does for Thomas as he brings him to faith as he gives him a safe place to process. Find a safe place to process your doubt with other people where you can speak it, where you can listen to your arguments and other people and, and process that and wrestle through that. That is a great way to journey to find authentic truth. Are you open to that process? Thomas is in the room. The disciples come to him. They tell him about the risen Lord and Thomas pushes back. He pushes back like many people push back in our culture today. Thomas said, I don't buy it unless I see the nail marks in his hands and put my finger where the nails are uh, and put my hand into his side. I'm not buying it. I will not believe the, the honest question of a doubter, right? I'm not going to believe it unless I see it. And Thomas pushes his back and the disciples walk away from him, right? The disciples say, you're out of the church, man. <laughs> you don't believe? We don't want doubters here. We're not hanging out with you anymore. No, no, no. They love Thomas. Even in his doubts, they walk with him the next the whole week. I can imagine the conversations that are happening throughout the week. Did you really see him? Yeah, we saw him. What about this? They're having a God conversation. They're not rejecting Thomas. They're not arguing with him. Nobody's argued into Jesus. People are loved into Jesus. That's the role of the church. We want to be people that help love you into Jesus. You see, hidden doubts are never answered. Buried doubts are never answered. You have to bring them out. You have to process. You have to look at them and you have to get input. Are you open to that honest discussion, that dialogue with safe and loving people? If, we're not, if we are open, you will find out. Guess what? Christianity has some solid answers. Christianity has some solid answers to the doubts in your life. You know, I'd love to journey with you. Pastor Ben and I would love to journey through you. If you have doubts and you have questions and you would like some authentic, loving people to walk with you through that journey of doubt, to consider the option of Christianity and its claims, we have a lot of people in our church that would love to walk with you. As a matter of fact, we're going to start a new series, a small group opportunity right out of Easter. We're calling it God Questions. You can join us online Go to watermarkoc.org. Ben will talk to you about it, but we're going to start a group where you can come online, you can ask your questions, and we're going to dialogue, and we're going to talk about some of the great questions that people have and how Christianity tries to answer those questions. Please join us. Walk with us. We want to help you. Find an authentic answer because of the love of God in us. So find a safe place to process your doubt. And the last thing that uh, Thomas does for, excuse me, Jesus does for Thomas, is he gives them some divine encounters. Be open to a divine encounter. This is a spiritual process. And if you're open and you're authentic, I see God show up in powerful ways and amazing ways, even in lives today. I believe God's going to answer your honest prayers. I believe that God's going to show you who he is and reveal himself to you because it's a spiritual process and he's seeking after, you're not just seeking after him, he's seeking after you, even in your doubts that's what happens to Thomas. A week later, he's gone through this process. And look what happens. Jesus walks right into the house that he's in with a divine appointment just for Thomas. A week later, his disciples were in the house again. And Thomas was with them. Through the door, though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Right? 
Are the doors of your heart, are the doors of your house locked? You know, do you feel like God can't get in or you feel like you can't get out? Just what, Jesus can blow through any door, any barrier. Maybe you have intellectual doubts. Maybe you have emotional doubts. Thomas had all of these things inside of him. And Jesus came in to help him with that. But he doesn't come in with a hammer. Jesus didn't walk in the room and say, hey, Thomas, you're fired. <laughs> you're no longer my disciple. You can't hang with me anymore. I'm ashamed of you, Thomas. Jesus doesn't come as a judge with justice. He comes and says, peace. This is the, the Hebrew greeting of shalom. I want what's best. I want your life to flourish. Why does Jesus want to come into your life? To help you flourish. To help you become what you were created to become. To have a connection with him and with others. And so he comes with peace. He comes with grace. That's a uniquely Christian term. If you're seeking other religions, only Christianity has the word grace in it. It means unmerited favor. God gives us what we can't earn what we don't deserve, what we can't buy, God gives us his grace, his peace, because he desires a relationship with us. So he enters the room with peace, and look what he says to Thomas. Hey, Thomas, here's my hand, here's my side. Touch, touch my hand with your finger. Look at the hole here. Put your hand in my, just what you wanted. I was listening when you were asking. I was listening when you were seeking. I was there, right there. And now I've come into your life to show you and reveal myself to you. What a powerful, tailor-made appointment. I see God do this all the time. He enters people as they go through this process. As they're open and honest, God invades their lives and he gives them an aha moment. The light bulb goes on. The aha insight may be different than you think though. You see, Thomas is saying, I want to touch him. Thomas doesn't ever touch him. This is, I'll get the insight if I touch him and feel him. That'll prove it to me. And that's not the insight that Thomas gets because God knows exactly what Thomas needs. He knows exactly what you need. The insight is way before Thomas ever gets to touch him, and he doesn't need to touch him. You know what the insight is? I think it's this. Thomas sees the scars in Jesus' hand and Jesus' side, and he gets it for the first time. You know what? Those scars are not a proof that you're God. Those scars are a proof of your love for me. And Thomas realized that Jesus went to the cross for him. That God would travel any distance and do anything and pay any price so that you might know his love. And Thomas is overwhelmed with the love of God. Why does Jesus keep the scars? Why are they even there? A resurrection body. I mean, I got scars all over me, man. I got scars from heart surgery, scars from back surgery. I got skin that had all kinds of problems with my skin. I want a new skin. I want some new skin. I want these scars gone. But Jesus keeps his scars in a res. Why does he do that? Because those scars are a proof of love. A tattoo of love on Jesus Christ. He keep, because every time he is seen, we'll always be reminded of how much he loves us. What he would do, what he would give to have a relationship with us. And Thomas sees that and he's overwhelmed and he says, My Lord and my God, I get it. I get how much you love me. That's what Jesus wants to show us. That's what he shows up. It's always about love. I had a good friend of mine. His name was uh, Jack Haley. And Jack was an amazing man. We became friends because of the restaurant industry. He had a very successful restaurant. And my wife and his daughter were really good friends. And Jack actually was invited to my wedding. And I proclaimed my Christian faith at the wedding. And he, he, he sort of scoffed at it a little bit. He respected it. He sort of made fun of it. And he said, you know, you guys are young. This is just a phase you're going through. This is going to pass. You know, he thought we were a little, you know, Christian crazy. 
And, and, but as we walked through life and journeying with Jack, every time I met him, he would be respectful. And, but he was a self-made guy. I heard about his story. Jack grew up in a very religious house and was very hard and stern. He, had, he was forced to go to church. He was ridiculed and, and felt, made to feel shame if he didn't do the right things. And so Jack walked away from religion early on in life. He, he didn't really think about God. And Jack did it on his own. He became very successful, entrepreneur, millionaire. He, he was a world-class surfer. He was an Olympic volleyball champion. He was an amazing man. Captain Jack's restaurant is his restaurant on Seal Beach. But later in life, you know, Jack knew me. We saw him from time to time. Later in life, Jack got cancer. Something came into his life that he couldn't handle, and he was out of control, and he was in despair. He was overwhelmed with the fear of death. Jack had a huge yacht. He decided one night, you know, I'm going to save my family the, the, the pain of watching me die of cancer and be fragile, because he was terminal. And so he decided, I'm going to go out and take the dinghy off my big yacht. I'm going to go out in the middle of the ocean, out towards Catalina. I've got a handgun. I'm going to go out there and I'll put it in my head. I'm going to shoot myself and fall into the water and I'll be done. And that was Jack's plan to end his life because he was so in the fear of death and he needed to control his life. And so Jack's plan was working out perfectly. He got up in the middle of the night. Nobody woke up. He got out, snuck out with his car, and he got to that yacht, and he walked across the yacht, and he, got, he had his gun, he had everything he needed, and he went and looked for that dinghy, that little boat, and it was gone. Somebody had stole his dinghy the night before. The guy who runs his boat had failed to tell him. He went on that boat, he was looking for a dinghy, he was looking to get away, he was looking to kill himself, and he couldn't do it. And on the way home, he had an aha moment because he shared with me, because he came and met with me, and he said, Bucky, guess what? I said, what, Jack? He said, God stole the dinghy. God stole the boat. So we, you could come, and you're a pastor, and you could plan my funeral. We're going to have a big party. We're going to rent out this restaurant, and we're going to celebrate. I need to do this better. And I said to Jack, Jack, I think that's great. I'm happy to plan your funeral, but I think God did that so because he wanted to plan your eternity. And that started a journey where I gave Jack the gospel of John and I walked with him and he started to come to church and he came alive to God and before he died, he accepted Jesus Christ. And God walked Jack from a journey of doubt to faith. He wants to do that for you. He wants to give you an aha moment. And he does that for Thomas and he says, it's the blessing of belief, Thomas. He ends his time with Thomas and saying, this is the blessing, it's belief. Thomas, because you have seen, you believe. Yes, you needed to see, and now you believe, and that's a blessing. But then he blesses people who haven't seen. That's you and I. That's you if you're here today, if you're seeking God and you're looking for answers, that's you. Jesus Christ is not going to come and physically appear before you and allow you to touch his hand. He's ascended to the Father. But he says this to you and says this to me in the church today. Anybody, he says, because you have seen, you believe. But blessed are those who have seen and yet have believed. Who've not seen. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. You see, belief is a gift from God. Belief is something that God wants to help you with. He sent the Holy Spirit to draw you to himself. He's wooing you to himself. And he wants to give you the gift of faith. You see, we all think we need clarity. God, show me. I need all the answers. Give me the answers, Bucky, and then I'll believe. I need all the circumstances right, then I'll believe. Line it up, prove it, and then I'll believe. I love what Mother Teresa, 
one of the great heroes of faith, right? Mother Teresa had a man, his name was John Cavanaugh. He came and visited Mother Teresa at the Sisters of Mercy. And after a month with Mother Teresa, he got an audience with her. And he said, Mother, she said, son, how can I pray for you? And he said, you know, Mother Teresa, I want, I want clarity. Would you give me clarity? I want to know what God wants me to do with my life. I have all these dreams and these plans. Just give me clarity and then I'll know what to do and I'll serve God. And Mother Teresa looked at him and said, oh, that's a great prayer request, my son. Will you give it to me, Mother? Nope, I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to pray that God gives you clarity. I've never had clarity. I'm going to pray that God gives you trust. You need trust. You don't need clarity. What you need, my son, is trust. I've never had clarity, but what I've had is trust. And that's the gift that God wants to give you today. You see, God is not just a box or a product or some scientific formula that we solve with intellectual answers and figuring them out. God is a person. He's the creator of all the universe. He's the great I am. And he's wooing you into relationship. And relationship is not about clarity. It's about trust. He's inviting you to trust him. He's given you enough evidence. He's given you eyewitnesses. You have all the evidence you need. He's given you people that will walk with you and love you. He's given you his Holy Spirit that's wooing you even now if you're out there. You're probably online here because this is a divine appointment and he's probably speaking to your heart today wherever you're at. He is right here and he's asking you to trust. He's asking you to trust. You know, there's people that have gone through this process at Watermark Church. They've gone from doubt to trusting faith. And we just want to encourage you that this happens right now today. If you're considering saying yes to Jesus Christ, it is a great journey and God answers prayers, even the prayers of doubt, even people that are seeking him. Let's watch this video and hear the testimony of the eyewitnesses that have found Jesus Christ because of his grace, even today at Watermark Church. Hi, my name is Kelsey Babbitt, and I did not grow up in a Christian household. When I was really little, my mom asked me if I believed in God, and I said, I don't know. Uh, from that point on, I would consider myself agnostic. I learned a lot about evolution, but I just, I never learned anything about creation or the stories of the Bible. Uh, so for me, I had always been raised a Christian, and I think it was more of a going through the motions style of faith and when I moved out of my parents house um, I pretty much shed that and decided that um, you know I was the master of my own life and and really didn't need God for anything I grew up in a non-christian household kind of an agnostic worldview uh, pair that with praying a bunch of times and nothing ever happening and uh, seeing some hypocrisy and the kids that are inviting me to their youth group I adopted an atheistic worldview uh, pretty early on and life became about me, my capabilities, my goals, my ambitions. Um, why I chose to be agnostic was mainly just because I was focused on myself and my needs that were in front of my face right here, right now, and wasn't focused on anything else except that. So ultimately it became a lazy answer to just say, yeah, everything's a great option. No one could prove anything and done. I'll focus on getting my grades or uh, getting a job and, and doing what I can with uh, what I can control. And uh, <clears throat> I think if I continued on that path, I, 
I don't know where I would have ended up, but it wouldn't have been uh, anywhere near where I am now. Um, as an atheist, uh, I went on uh, from high school to, to college and was at Stanford University and um, really felt God's presence, even though I didn't believe in God, uh, by running into Christians everywhere I went. But ultimately, just felt super unfulfilled, uh, regardless of what was happening, and I had no reason to not be happy. And it wasn't until about three years ago that my dad got saved and started going to Watermark, and I went with him just to spend time with him. And I really got to see the Holy Spirit work through him. And it wasn't until about a year later that I felt the Holy Spirit working through me. And I started devoting my life to Christ. And I got baptized in September. And I couldn't be more grateful to be able to share this experience with my family. And I just feel so blessed. And I, I couldn't be happy. And the guy brought me a Bible and said, let's just go through it together and we'll just talk about it. And he was, uh, was willing and able to listen to my thoughts and doubts and questions and was there for me. It was the heart of these people. They had incredible connection and warmth and um, love. And uh, that was very appealing. And uh, so I started searching for mentors, found some mentors, found Je Jess Shepard, who's at Watermark and uh, had some, some uh, men conversations and started to, to see the spirit with him and uh, dug in and uh, opened the Bible and talked about Jesus with them. And from there, I've seen uh, ultimate negative um, mindset turn into a positive mindset where I've got a spirit that uh, just radiates and, and something that um, excites me. And that all comes from Jesus. The moment you know that changed for me was when I uh, came up against a big struggle in my life that you know I had that same mentality towards of uh, you know, I can do this and, uh, you know, I'm the king and <laughs> I'm the master of my own destiny. And uh, obviously that didn't work. <clears throat> and uh, I really only started to make progress um, towards overcoming this struggle once I surrendered it to, to God and, and trusted in his plan and, and uh, every baby step I took. Um, my life just seemed to open up more and more. But I heard the good news many, many times, this all-knowing, miraculous, uh, compassionate, forgiving, graceful God many times. And after a lot of questions and a big struggle with the concept of faith, I took a step into this relationship. Uh, life will give us all greater than us, greater than me moments, greater than our capacities. And I was fortunate to be able to walk with God in and, and a relationship when those moments came into my life. Uh, and the, and the big, biggest takeaway from my relationship with God and what I've experienced with Him is as I've walked with Him, I've experienced how real the living God of the Bible is. And I've been able to experience more and more of my fullness on who He has created me to be walking with Him. The Bible says that I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. You and a, me and a we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. I hope you have a great Easter, and I, I pray that we all experience the living God of the Bible more than ever before. God bless, and happy Easter. Wow, that's amazing. Authentic testimonies to the power, the resurrection power of Jesus Christ that is still working today in the life of His people. And God wants to bring that life to you today. Where are you at with your faith? Where are you at from your, on your journey from doubt to faith? Perhaps some of you are like the man who came to Jesus in the Gospels. 
And he prayed this prayer, Lord, I believe, but help my unbelief. Jesus was about to heal his son, and he said, can you heal my son? And Jesus said, if, if you can, said Jesus, everything is possible for one who believes. Immediately the boy's father exclaimed, I do believe, but help me overcome my unbelief. And maybe that's where you are at today. Maybe you're an honest seeker and you still have doubts. And you're saying, Lord, I want to overcome my unbelief. We invite you to pray that prayer. I'm open, Lord, but help my unbelief. Come and join us for God questions. Stay in the process. Seek, seek answers. God will meet you where you're at. Or maybe you're somebody who's walked away from God. Maybe you've been hurt by the church, like the testimony. Maybe you've been let down by a leader and you've walked away from God, but you want to come back and you're trying to find your way back through doubt and hurt. And maybe your prayer is, I'm turning back, God. Help my unbelief. We want to pray for you here today. We want to help you follow, find your way back to your faith and to God. And Jesus is in this process with you. But maybe you're here today and you realize today is your day. Maybe your day is to say, Lord, I believe, but help me with my unbelief, but I'm ready. I'm ready today. Lord, I am ready. I believe for the first time. That's why John wrote this gospel. He wrote these words and said, these things are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, just like Thomas, my Lord and my God, and that believing you may have life, eternal life in his name. John says, for God so loved the world that he gave his son. Jesus came to this planet. That's what we celebrate at Easter. God came to this planet and he gave his life on the cross for you. He died in your place. He took on your sins. He washed them as white as snow. And he went into the ground and he rose from the dead on Easter, proving he was God, that he could forgive sins, that he had the gift of eternal life and he gives it to everyone who would believe in his name and maybe that's what you're ready for to say, Lord, I believe for the first time. In spite of my doubts, in spite of my struggles, in spite of my pain, I choose to believe. God accepts you right where you're at. He takes you with all that you've got and he loves you right there. And if that's the desire of your heart this morning, I want to pray with you wherever you're at, in the comfort of your home, by yourself or with friends. We're all going to pray together, but I'm going to give you specifically a pray, a prayer in your heart. It's not so much the words, it's the attitude of your heart, and you're praying to Jesus. He's right there. He's a risen Savior. The Holy Spirit is in your midst, and God is inviting you to know Him and to become His beloved child, to accept you, to know Him, and to find the power of His resurrection life and His eternal hope right now in the middle of your life, right where you're at today. So if you want to pray this prayer, just bow your head, maybe open your hands and repeat these words after me and say them to God, say them to Jesus. The Spirit of God is moving in your heart right now. Say these words after me. Dear Lord Jesus, I believe for the first time that you are my Savior, that you are my Lord. I open the door to my heart. I ask you to come in for the very first time. Thank you for dying for my sins. Thank you for washing me white as snow. Come into my life with the resurrection power now and give me the hope of eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your life and your love. Continue to lead me and guide me to the path of life 
through faith in your name. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. If you pray that prayer, we're going to clap for you. Everybody clap. Yahoo! It is a celebration. You know, the Bible says there are like corks going off in heaven. The angels are dancing because you prayed that prayer and you went from death to life. You went from doubt to faith. You went from despair to hope. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. And we want to help you celebrate. All the church is going to stand and help you celebrate right now because your faith is in Christ. It is in Christ alone. And because of that, you have the hope of eternal life. He is risen. Let's celebrate and sing together. We hope that this message has challenged and encouraged you. If you need prayer, would like to join a small group community, or are interested in partnering with our work throughout Costa Mesa and Orange County, please go to watermarkoc.com. We would love to start a conversation.